Hello, I'm Faith Rogers from DKB Med. Thank you for joining us. This is a follow-up to last week's webcast, COVID-19, Keeping Up with a Moving Target, and the first of our new coronavirus educational activities as part of DKB Med's radio hour. Our plan is to provide twice-weekly 15-minute webcasts and podcast updates featuring the latest news affecting you and your patients while also answering your questions on COVID-19. Please know that just as knowledge of COVID-19 is evolving, this program will evolve over time as new information warrants. We welcome your suggestions to make this as beneficial as possible. Today's program is not accredited for continuing education, but starting next week, our plan is to offer continuing education credit for physicians, nursing, pharmacy, and physician assistants. This program is independently funded by DKB Med. To access other free CE or CME programs, please visit us at dkbmed.com. For more information on COVID-19 interview last week's webcast with Dr. Allwater, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. With us today, we have Dr. Allwater, Clinical Director of the Division of Infectious Disease at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. Dr. Allwater, thank you for joining us. Faith, thank you very much. And uh, here we are in uh, the latter half of March, and I hope everyone that's listening is holding up well in, in these difficult times. I do want to thank DKB Med for uh, their uh, support for putting forward this program, and hopefully you'll find some of these uh, uh, slides, information, and uh, answers to queries helpful for you and your practice. Uh, the uh, Johns Hopkins map um, often is done in red showing cumulative cases, but if you toggle over to active cases, uh, you get a much better sense of the epidemiology that's happening uh, with the real rapid upswing in many of our communities and with New York City and the metropolitan area there accounting for really the vast uh, numbers of cases that are being uh, uh, found in the United States, but it is not only a reflection probably of what many people feel is just the density um, of uh, residential life in New York City. It is the most dense city in the United States, but they also have some of the most widespread testing. So I think we're still hampered by lack of testing in many areas to truly discern what's going on with our uh, pandemic uh, presence of this virus here. Uh, within the United States. So uh, I, I think the next few weeks will remain difficult. And of course, the term flattening the curve has uh, really taken on meaning with uh, almost uh, all states and many communities taking varying degrees of social distancing. Of course, uh, Wuhan, China did this uh, initially out of the gate and was most severe where they did contract tracing and really put people into central quarantine if you add a positive test. We're not doing anything quite as draconian, but uh, the experience in Northern Italy where one town instituted very early uh, uh, limitations socially versus late showed the divergence in the number of cases. And I think uh, this is what we're all hoping for to give us a chance for our communities to adapt, our health systems to adapt and not become overwhelmed, uh, which is the initial uh, strategy with uh, these maneuvers. Moving to the medical front as an update, there is obviously increasing testing capacity in many parts of the country, 
the big news that impressed me was um, uh, the FDA approved a Cepheid COVID test. Uh, you may be familiar with this as a gene expert for tuberculosis, and they have a number of other cartridges as well. Uh, but this kind of tech molecular technique is rapid. Results can return in as fast as 45 minutes. This and very other companies offering similar technologies as they come online. If you're using the platform, especially within a hospital system, this is huge because you can essentially determine if someone's a person under investigation, a PUI immediately, uh, and then hopefully get a test within an hour or two instead of, for example, holding someone overnight in an isolation room. Uh, the FDA has eased approvals specifically for serological tests. It's not at all clear how well many of these that are now being offered are validated. Now, serology uh, can uh, give great information if it's accurate to find out if somebody who was perhaps never tested by molecular means to see if they're uh, uh, testing positive. We don't yet know, though, if a positive test correlates with immunity, although uh, the hope is that that's the case. So the FDA has actually sent out guidance that a negative serology test, uh, as you might imagine, doesn't mean you don't have uh, COVID because it could be early in infection. And a positive test can also probably have some cross reaction with uh, pedestrian coronavirus strains that cause, uh, has, have been causing respiratory infection for years. So until we have uh, more accuracy and better validation, please be careful. Uh, there's home testing kits also for doing um, molecular assays on nasal swabs, nasopharyngeal swabs, and these are usually just a mail-in apparatus to a Quest or LabCorp. Uh, diagnostics uh, were very important when central quarantining was used in some countries, and uh, this is not the case in the United States. Uh, really recently, I'd say the most frequent questions I get are, what about uh, um, therapeutics for this coronavirus? Remdesivir is in a number of uh, uh, trials across the United States. Its compassionate use uh, program is being cut back, though, severely in the United States to only enroll pregnant women and children, um, so uh, anyone under age 18. Uh, these are, of course, not the most at-risk people. Um, a lot of this has to do with manufacturing capacity, I believe, and, and also the need to make sure clinical trials are enrolled. Uh, we don't know if the drug works yet, and there may be some early data coming out of the Chinese experience in clinical trials sometime in April. Now, uh, lots of news has been um, given to uh, old antimalarials, chloroquine, and uh, its relative hydroxychloroquine, which are available within the United States, um, but there's been uh, rampant hoarding. Um, uh, chloroquine really has been exhausted and no one can find it uh, generally in the United States and hydroxychloroquine as well, uh, as well as uh, lopinavir, ritonavir, also known as Kaletra. Each of these, at least in vitro and sometimes in animal models, have been suggested to be active against coronaviruses. Now, hydroxychloroquine has gotten the most press. Um, it actually failed in human trials for influenza and Ebola. Personally, I don't believe it is likely to work. A small study from France uh, in 36 patients suggested some decreased shedding and more so if it was combined with azithromycin, but the study had lots of flaws. Um, 
including patients that were excluded if they went to the ICU or they died. Uh, there was a, a lack of uh, um, a statistical analysis in a pairwise fashion. And uh, the, um, uh, the azithromycin hydroxychloroquine combo, which has gotten so much press, including from uh, the White House, uh, was based on only six patients. So um, again, uh, this will be subject of a number of randomized clinical trials that uh, are being launched uh, throughout the world. So we'll have more accurate information, uh, but yet um, there's no uh, good evidence, I feel, that this offers clinical benefit for our patients. The only high quality data we have is actually on lopinavir and ritonavir, which uh, was published recently in the New England Journal and essentially failed to provide benefit in patients that were deemed to have severe COVID and hospitalization. Uh, there's been a lot of interest in immunomodulators in part because the viral injury seems to precipitate uh, in some patients a cytokine storm and also uh, changes to the lung consistent with ARDS. Um, a drug such as tocalizumab, an IL-6 receptor blocker monoclonal, uh, can, uh, has been FDA approved to prevent cytokine release syndrome in this oncology setting of CAR-T. So this has been probably the drug most widely used. There have been experiences of over 50 patients in uh, one center in Europe. It has also been uh, part of the Chinese guideline. But the only data I know is yet an unpublished study uh, that says it helped uh, 21 patients. Uh, with lower oxygenation, better CT findings, but this was uncontrolled and wasn't clear that um, uh, the COVID hospitalized patients is 17 so-called severe uh, in terms of how ill. And again, this remains unpublished, but circulating on the internet. So hard to know. And of course, with desperately ill patients, um, uh, these are very expensive drugs, um, but also may have untoward effects. So um, randomized clinical trials, I believe, should be the preference if patients are uh, to be, uh, these drugs are to be used, is probably the most ethical way to understand um, if they will benefit patients. So I'm going to stop there, Faith, and I understand you might have some questions. Great. Thank you for those updates, Dr. Allwater. Um, we will now continue to the listener Q&A. Um, to submit questions for Dr. Allwater or of your own, please send questions to qa at dkbmed.com. That's Q as in question, A as in answer at dkbmed.com. Question one, Dr. Allwater. Everyone is being pushed back to their primary care provider for evaluation. What are the recommendations for primary care providers? I think this does depend a little bit on your local health systems. Uh, certainly, emergency rooms uh, can be easily overwhelmed, so there's a sense of trying to divert the less ill away. At the same time, um, some health systems, for example, are trying to centralize evaluations with mobile or tents outside uh, because of potential risks, and many ambulatory offices um, are not really set up uh, to really uh, do nasopharyngeal swabs with uh, adequate protective personal equipment. So uh, I think this very much depends on your situation and, and ease. Um, uh, uh, people that uh, um, do call their doctors, um, I think uh, not everyone needs a test at this stage. It's still not widely available. So you need to sort of balance 
what the test is going to do. Does it help inform someone in a household? Uh, for example, obviously, if people are feeling short of breath or feel terribly ill, they still have to go to the hospital. Uh, but I think this depends on uh, your own office level's ability. Uh, do you want to see these patients and have the proper uh, precautions within your medical environment or uh, just have feeling phone calls and giving advice uh, just as I gave? Thank you very much. Our next question is, is there any clear guidance about the use of ibuprofen in people with COVID? What's the latest information? Does it apply to all NSAIDs or just ibuprofen? So the, a lot of the ibuprofen uh, came out of uh, 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 France, where the health minister mentioned this. Uh, as far as I know, there's no quality data uh, that's ever been presented on this. Um, uh, some people have suggested indomethacin may be helpful based on a very old paper on um, in vitro uh, effects on uh, SARS, the SARS-1 uh, coronavirus. So uh, at the moment, there are no recommendations I know of or any guidance where people are incorporating NSAIDs or, stay, or, or saying they should be, stay away from them. Great, thank you. Um, our next question is, how long are patients contagious once symptoms abate? Yeah, this isn't entirely known. Uh, however, early studies have suggested when we're doing molecular swabs every day on people or in serial fashion, um, we can look at the, the PCR cycle number. When the cycle number drops below, depending on the machine, let's say, for example, 33 cycles, uh, when people are also doing viral cultures at the same time, even if the PCR assay is positive, uh, 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 viable virus is not recovered. So these are some of the uh, early studies that have given some guidance. And so typically the advice is as follows, which is sort of framed by what I just said. People should not be considered infectious until they've had at least seven days from onset of symptoms. So that's the minimum time. And you should be completely symptom-free of fever and respiratory symptoms for 72 hours without using antipyretics or cough suppressants. So seven-day minimum uh, time of illness and at least 72 hours free of symptoms. Thank you. Could you talk about rural areas, what to expect, whether to expect prolonged concern for late spread after the city's peak? Yeah, so uh, there's a sense that, you know, cities have been the hot spots. Uh, I think transmission rates um, uh, probably are the same, but what's different are people are more spread out in rural communities and so on. So, uh, we don't quite know how this virus will behave moving ahead through the seasons or with social distancing. There are many variables. Um, there certainly can still be infections in rural communities. I expect uh, that there likely will be sporadic transmission probably over time regardless until we have a vaccine um, or effective antiviral medicines that can really help easily blunt and reduce viral shedding. Thank you. Is there any update on data about hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin as this study may have serious flaws? Yeah, so as I mentioned in my slide deck, I think that study is seriously flawed. 
So I don't know of any new information. A study on just hydroxychloroquine came out from China, which I think was 30 patients in a, in a randomized controlled trial. So that's different than the French study. And that study showed no difference. It was small. Personally, I think hydroxychloroquine is not likely to work, or if it has an effect, it's going to be very small. So it's going to take a large trial to show benefits. And this drug is already, excuse me, subject to uh, considerable interest. So many randomized controlled trials. So I, I think within a matter of a few months, we should have more deliberate information about the uh, efficacy of that drug or, or a drug combination with azithromycin. Thank you. Um, is there any data to suggest that people who have received the seasonal influenza vaccine are more or less protected from COVID? So uh, certainly getting the seasonal influenza vaccine helps reduce your chance of uh, developing influenza, which I, I think many of you know can still cause considerable illness, hospitalizations, and death, uh, anywhere from 20 to 60 plus thousand a year in the United States. We're nowhere near those numbers with COVID, uh, thankfully, uh, but there is no known cross protection. Thank you. Um, next question is, do you have specific advice for pregnant healthcare workers? What approach is Johns Hopkins taking for pregnant healthcare workers? Yeah, we do not have an official policy, but I'll, I'll tell you within our own infectious diseases division, taking a leave from influenza where pregnant women are at higher risk. This is, again is an area of um, interest and study, but I don't believe we have any basis for recommendations, but we've been asking um, our pregnant uh, uh, healthcare workers to uh, limit their patient interaction, certainly not attend uh, with COVID patients at this time. Thank you. What guidance can you give the home health staffing or people who are going out into the community at this time? Yeah, so I think anyone who's working with patients should probably always wear a mask. That's not official uh, recommendations, but um, I think that that's helpful. Um, and uh, be very careful and practice standard precautions and good hand hygiene. Uh, at that time. I think uh, home health providers can query if anyone's ill in the household, uh, for example. Um, so I, I think this is very important and home health care workers to a more limited degree than someone working in an emergency room remain, you know, sort of on the front line in the community. So uh, good to take uh, precautions for sure. Thank you. And this is the last question from our learners before we wrap up today. Um, prior SARS and MERS outbreaks seem to have higher mortality rates with a similar R naught, yet were able to be contained. What is leading to the rapid global spread and difficulty containing this current pandemic? Yeah, so um, the COVID uh, and the SARS uh, uh, coronavirus 2 um, is different than SARS uh, coronavirus 1 or MERS. Those had higher mortality, and the key here is this virus is highly successful. If a virus makes most people sick and kills people, it's usually easy to identify, contain, uh, and stop. When people are infected with a virus that they may be asymptomatic, they may shed it uh, without symptoms or minimal symptoms or mimic 
uh, bronchitis. Uh, this is the equation for a successful virus in transmission. Um, so uh, this virus seems a bit more severe than influenza, um, it seems, although the uh, case fatality rates continue uh, to gain more precise knowledge, uh, whether it's six or 10 times worse. Um, it, you know, again, uh, influenza is often cited as, uh, you know, unfortunately leading to death and perhaps one in a thousand people um, or so of those who are infected. Uh, this might be less, but uh, it's still nothing like the mortality rate seen with MERS that were 30% of infected people. So uh, these are some of the characteristics of why this is a successful virus. Great, thank you again, Dr. Alwater, for joining us today. Um, to all of our listeners, please stay tuned for our next program. We will send out an email when it's available next week. Any questions can be submitted by sending questions to QA at dkbmed.com. That's Q as in question, A as in answer at dkbmed.com. Dr. Alwater, thank you again. Okay, thank you, Faith. Take care.